Thank you for listening to this talk produced by the Art Gallery of South Australia. Welcome, Mani Naputni. I want to begin by saying Agza Ghana Yutanga Uindi. So I've just said I'm glad to see you all here and that Agza stands on Ghana land. And I do want to pay my respects to Ghana elders past, present and of course emerging. We're here in the exhibition of 23 finalists of the Ramsey Art Prize 2019, as you all very well know. Um, and it's quite an honour for us to stage this prize. This is the second staging. And um, for me, the words really of the winner, Vincent Namajira, have remained in my mind every time I walk in here. Um, when he was announced and he gave um, his speech, he said something really moving, and I want to begin with his words. So Vincent Namajira said, art is powerful, art is a weapon. Art changed my life, and I think art has the power to change the world too. And so I'm not speaking today about his work specifically, um, but it is the work, I'm sure you all know, that's just behind us. That's a double-sided painting. Um, one side is a depiction of the artist and the other of Captain Cook. And really what it does is it bridges together the past and the present, um, or at least that's what it does for me. And that idea of bridging together the past and present is really what I'll be talking about today in the Ramsey Art Prize. So when I was asked to think about giving a talk in this space, I thought, what am I going to talk about? There are quite a few talks in the program about the Ramsey Art Prize, including a few artists' talks, which are coming up in August. Um, but at that point, I hadn't seen the works in person. I had just seen a few photographs, a few detailed images that artists sent through um, when they were applying to be part of the prize. And what I noticed is this attention to the handmade. I noticed a lot of works that were being stitched, being embroidered, being woven, being put together in ways that I thought really speak to a kind of shared contemporary approach to what would otherwise be referred to as traditional craft techniques. And so that was where I started, and that is where I'll try and stay today. Um, I'll be speaking about a few works, because there are quite a number of them, <laughs> even more than I had anticipated when I wrote that short statement many months ago. Um, but I do want to yeah, think, about, think about that idea. What is it? Why are so many artists being drawn to these materials and, and to the handmade again um, today in contemporary art practice? So, let me get my place. So when I was thinking about this, I naturally went back to art history and went back to social history. Um, and I do want to begin by giving you a kind of historical context, I suppose, to these ideas that I want to talk about today. Um, it was by coincidence that at the same time, um, Lisa Slade had curated the display, which is just outside in Gallery 7, which is called Fermage. And it's a display that is not part of the Ramsey Art Prize, but it has taken um, inspiration from the winner of the 2017 Ramsey Art Prize, Sarah Contos. And um, what she has done there by bringing together works from the collection is looked at contemporary artists who are really doing what I'm talking about today, which is responding to um, 
the, the domestic realm of the handmaid. And specifically, the word fromage, which is taken from Sally Smart's work, points to a particular moment in the 1970s where a Canadian-born artist, Miriam Shapiro, um, together with a colleague and, and contemporaries of hers, put together an article, I think it was in, in the winter of 1977 that it was published, and it identified a particular trend then in the 1970s of women artists actually looking back to these um, ideas of, of domestic making and really reclaiming those traditions of many women throughout history. And those traditions are, as I said, ideas of, of stitching, embroidery, of weaving. Um, but they identified them and they listed them. And I want to just read directly from their article. So they said they identified this attention then in contemporary art to sewing, piecing, hooking, cutting, appliqueing, cooking, and the like, they said. And they said these are act these are activities also engaged in by men, but assigned in history to women. And they described them as being really essential to the life of women, spiritually and politically, um, and they said that they were necessary for phys physical survival. And they list a number of examples of how women throughout time, throughout the 18th century, 19th century, were really working in this way um, of, of to do just that, to survive. They made reference to a nun who had cut out um, a paper and then decorated images of, of icons, of, of religious icons, and, and doing it as a kind of honouring and sign of devotion. They spoke about um, other women artists who would make works and then embed within those works kind of messages and references to their life experiences, but they were hidden, so it wasn't quite so obvious. They weren't speaking particularly loudly, but they were speaking about their personal experience in that manner. I think it's fair to say in the 1970s, we got a little bit louder. We fought a little harder, and um, these women were, were particularly influential in really driving home the importance of these handmade crafts and the importance of that to women. They said that these artists make them think about paper lace, beads, scraps of cloth, photographs, birthday cards, valentines and clippings, all of which have inspired the visual imaginations of them right there and then. Um, so thinking about that particular moment in history, um, which is then, I went back even further um, to the movement, of course, of the arts and crafts movement of the late 19th century, um, because really it was the same battle that these women were fighting then, a battle to be recognised um, for the work that they were doing. And the arts and crafts movement was important for giving um, lots of women access to new education, um, but the, the struggle was, was still there. Um, and for many of those women in that movement, their names are not necessarily on the labels that we see today. They still had restricted access to formal education. Um, so it's a similar message, it's a similar story. And I think many of the works in this Ramsey Art Prize are borrowing from those traditions and those histories. And in many, way, in many ways, they're, I guess, exploiting those techniques, they're subversing the histories that are associated with them. Um, and so I wanna, wanna keep that all in your mind as we go through a few of the works today. 
So I wanted to begin with Sarah Waters. Um, many of you won't be able to see her, but she, her work is just behind us here on the left. And Sarah Waters, for me, um, who's a South Australian-based artist, is particularly um, aware of the histories of her craft. And so Sarah Waters, in 2016, um, studied at the Royal School of Needlework in Hampton Court in Britain. And then just recently, I think it was just at the end of last year, that she's completed her PhD. Um, and her PhD is very much wrapped up in, in this context today. Um, and from her doctoral title, she has said that it's about unsettling settler colonial homemaking legacies in South Australia. And so clearly she's aware that her craft, which is embroidery and stitching, um, has this long history being engaged in the history of not only um, of gender, but also um, colonisation. And so this work here is actually an enlarged um, wallpaper reproduction of a much smaller work that she made of a fallen tree that's um, fallen down in front of a, a setting sun. And then on top of the wallpaper, she has placed much um, smaller, the, the same size as what would have originally been the fallen tree, much smaller embroideries um, that you can you know, only quite barely make out as you look at the work in more detail. So it's a work that really, I think for me, um, reveals itself in layers, in the layers of physically experiencing it, but then also thinking about it, and certainly for me, researching it and researching Sarah's work. So she's described her, um, her practice as really dealing with a darkly stitched meticulousness, she says, and that's a meticulousness in terms of how she makes her works, but also in terms of her attention to history. Um, this is a, a woman who is very much um, informed on her subject. And so together she kind of pieces, pieces together these kind of puzzles of history um, in quite a, a physical and, and mental um, way. And so in this work in particular, she has said that, I'll, and I'll read from her exactly, that each of my wallpapers, so she, this is one, this is the largest of, of a series that she's done, have riffed off the style of the popular 1980s Australiana long stitches, which depicted nostalgic pastoral scenes in woolen pastel tones. She says, in fact, the long stitch, which I created and photographed to make this wallpaper, repurposes the materials of those very kits. And what she's referring to, I, I don't know if everyone's familiar with them, those 1980s, popular in the 1980s, yeah, um, kits that would um, give you a kind of a guide to create this picture, which is, as she said, often um, kind of Australiana-themed and, and this kind of, um, yeah, a, quite a pleasant view of, of what Australia, um, Australia could be identified as. Um, so quite nationalistic in the subject matter. So she says um, that she's reused some of the materials of those kits to make this work, um, as well as some kind of leftover scraps of wool that she's been able to collect from op shops and friends. Ah, yes. <laughs> um, and so, however, in contrast to the original way that you would put those kits together, um, which is in, in a way of using... You can come through. 
Um, it's, it's a way that's quite um, meticulous, it's using cotton thread and it's kind of in-out, in-out process. It, it's very um, forthcoming in, in how you do it um, and the outcome is quite a uh, clear image of what you're seeing. Instead, more recently, Sarah has been working with um, these woolen long stitches, which are a little bit different, a little bit harder to work with. Um, wool, she says, is, is messier, she says you can get lost in it like smoke. Um, and I think that what you see then is actually physically her struggle with the material in the resulting work. So they're a little bit um, less, less um, clean. They're a little bit more, I would say, untidy. And certainly she has moved out of the mould of those kits and created something with a lot more detail um, and with a lot more, um, I guess, heart, I would say. Um, so Sarah Waters is an artist who I also um, I wrote about her work for the 2016 exhibition Sappers and Shrapnel and I was fascinated by her commitment to her craft then in terms of time. So for that exhibition she created a um, large blanket and it took her, she thinks, 855 hours to create it. Um, and it was a process that she said where time really ended being present in the final work. So it's kind of a process where she um, thinks of it as a kind of devotion to history and to the, um, to the people whose stories that she's telling. And so um, she said, let's see if I can find the quote, that the potential of the handmaid for her, so for her, the potential of the handmaid activated time and provided reverie. She said it, it was a process of marking time and also a kind of monument to time and history. And I think it's the same for this work that we see here. Um, it's also interesting when you're, when you're trying to find the, the embroidered pieces that are laid on top of the wallpaper, um, that they are kind of hidden almost like camouflage. Um, and she's very clear about the reason for doing that the reason for kind of hiding what is the um, evidence of humanity. So there's a leg, there's an eye. Um, so she makes it quite explicit that um, humanity is having a consequence on nature, essentially, um, and that there's no dividing, really, the two now. Another artist who I wanted to speak about today is an artist who also um, is very much interested in this kind of collective consciousness of Australia, and that's uh, Liam Benson, who created the work just behind all of us, I'm sorry, in the dark room um, at the back space. And so Liam Benson here has created a work um, he has created it, but he's done it in the company of many volunteers, many people who were, um, he said over 100 people, who, um, who participated in a series of workshops that he um, basically facilitated. And what he did in those workshops is he produced three works at the end of them, and he asked the people to consider um, three ideas. So one of them, he produced a flag, and he asked the participants of what would they put on the Australian flag, what wouldn't they put on the Australian flag. And then he created a map of Australia where him and the participants um, created a, a map of Australia but placing um, the Aboriginal language groups on the map. And then they created this work here, which is by far the largest of the three. And this one is really, he describes as a, um, as a, a bouquet of flowers or as a, um, as a garland of flowers. And so each, 
person has made their own flower and they've done it in um, memory or in acknowledgement of someone who's close to them. So it's someone either living or someone who's passed away. Um, and what you see as the result is very individual approaches to the craft of, of stitching and embroidering um, these sequence flowers. But you also see them all coming together. So it's this idea of, of difference being united um, and everyone coming together. And Liam Benson, he works in performance and also in video. We have some of his photography in the collection. And this is really an extension of the, same, of the same ideas of his previous work. So he is again an artist who's very conscious of Australian art history, of Australian history, um, and uses his role as an artist in a political way um, to make comments on current conditions. Um, and it's interesting to think about why he's chosen this particular material, why he's chosen sequins. Um, and looking at his past work, you can see that they once, sequins once adorned the costumes that he would wear. So he would often dress up as characters, play roles. He's played Kylie Minogue, personal favourite. Um, and then he, he's, he, by doing that, he is subverting, I think, the um, ideas that we place with these very decorative, very beautiful surfaces and materials. He also spoke about sequence being on drag costumes. He also speaks about his mother's um, clothes when he was growing up in the 90s, always having sequence on them. So for him, it's also this kind of nostalgic reference, um, which um, comes out in a few of the works in this space as well. Um, one of them, perhaps, a good segue is to speak about the work you're all looking at, which is here by Taryn Gill, who's a Perth-based contemporary artist. Um, and her work you may be more familiar with perhaps than anyone else because she was just on display here a few months ago um, with a larger, well, similar scale work called The Guardians, which she created for the Adelaide Biennial um, Magic Object Exhibition. And so this is a work that's coming from the same um, ideas, really, as, as The Guardians. Um, it's an extension of, of that growing practice of hers to create her own universe really full of these characters that we can't quite make out if they're our friends or if they're our enemies um, and she is someone who's also very interested in theater like Liam Benson she has come from a, a, a dance background and she has used these materials in a way that entices us we're intrigued we're curious I was in here this morning having a look at the exhibition and saw a young girl who with her parents I assume it's not hers because she was quite small, but she was photographing um, works, but she chose just to photograph the Liam Benson and the Taryn Gill. And I thought, how interesting, of course, because they're, they're full of, of, you know, glitter and sequins, and certainly they remind me of childhood. Um, and so Taryn does this very deliberately, of course. She's very aware of um, what she's doing and the senses that she's playing on with us. And when we get just close enough, we realize that these are kind of menacing in the way that they're looking at us. Um, the eyes here are darting around, so they're lit up and darting around, and we're not really quite sure what we're looking at. And so Taryn Gill, for this particular work, is interested in um, the ideas of, of um, Carl Jung, and particularly his um, archetype of the trickster. And so the trickster, which plays out, I'm sure many of you know, in many religions across many places and time, 
this idea of the trickster is um, he, can, he can be good, but he can also be bad. And he can um, provide a way forward, but he can also kind of trick you, of course, and you can go down the wrong direction. Um, and so many of those ideas are kind of played out in the way that these figures and creatures are looking at us. She also considers them as morphing into self-portraits. And in that sense, she is implicit in the work as well. Um, and Jung described the trickster as something which really operates in the um, space between conscious and unconscious mind. And I think that's also where Taryn Gill sits with this work, this idea of us slipping between the conscious and unconscious mind and, and realm. Um, and when we look at it, perhaps we do the same. I, I certainly do, where you think about it physically, I think about the materials um, and the way that she's put it together, but then I also go into some other imaginative, faraway place um, and thinking about perhaps where they've come from and how they've entered this physical world. Um, and so to list some of her materials, um, I think is also quite interesting. Let me just find them. So included is hand-sewn fabric, of course. There's rabbit fur, threads, sequins, glitter, synthetic hair, nylon, um, and also leather ladies' gloves, which you can see right here. Um, so going back to the idea of, of fromage, of, of many of these traditions coming from the domestic realm of, of, of women, um, Taryn Gill is also very aware of this. And so she's actually said that she uses the feminine tradition of stitching and aesthetics of girlhood as a source of creating uncanny, magical, demonic power. And I think she does this very well. In thinking about her work um, and many of the other works that we're going through, I also thought of Fiona Hall. So Fiona Hall, of course, is our um, artist who was based here in Adelaide for many, many years. And she is someone who in the 90s did a lot of work um, using beading, but also cutting um, and really entering into this handmade world and creating very elaborately um, detailed works that played into this curiosity, our material curiosities. Um, and I always remember what she says when she described her, when she described her visual aesthetic, she said, it's like a lure, a lure that like a flower, exudes a perfume and is covered specifically to attract an insect to pollinate it. And I think that's very true of, of Taryn Gill's work. She's kind of drawing on our desire for material things, but then she says that that's not all that it is. Um, and that, I guess, she's highlighting the transient nature of all material things and of the material world. And so this interest in... Um, the ideas of, of Jung also stemmed from an earlier, from the earlier body of work that I mentioned called The Guardians. Um, and in 2013, 2013 she um, had a residency that was quite influential to her and it really did mark this change in her work. So she had a residency at the um, Freud Museum in London and there she got very interested in the work of, um, of Anna Freud. And um, she has a She's also um, spoken about in the museum and, and her office and studio is um, still there as, as close as it can be to the original. And what interested Taryn was that she saw a loom in, in Anna's office. And what she found out is that 
when Anna would also see patients, um, she would be hand-making things. She would be knitting or she'd be um, embroidering right there in the chair. And it was very much part of her idea of, of how to do um, this psychoanalytical work with her patients. Um, and so for Taryn, that was very interesting and she immediately started working in a similar way um, and started borrowing the fabrics that she could find, um, looking at her old dance costumes and, and putting things together um, in that way. I think there's, in the earlier, um, in the Fumage article that I mentioned at the very beginning, um, those artists spoke about a kind of sense of, of frugalness for many women throughout history. Um, and this idea of just using whatever you could find to then make something. Um, and, and you really are then serving this kind of innate desire within you know, many of us, male or female, to, to make a mark, to make a comment, to create. Um, and it's interesting that all of the works that I've mentioned um, so far, Sarah Waters, Taryn Gill, Liam Benson, they've done exactly the same thing and used the resources around them. Um, and another artist who is doing that is, of course, the work that's the largest in this space, and that's Pierre um, Mukuba, who came to making these works at first just using the bed linen that he could find um, around him. And he has this sense of of, yes, resource, resourcefulness, um, but also in doing that, he's able to bring all of those feelings of the domestic realm into the work and all of the references to his own heritage. Um, he's now using um, African material to speak about his histories and his memories and experiences of being in Africa. He now lives here permanently, well, he lives here full-time in South Australia and, and has since 2006. Um, but likewise, he's working in a way where he's in, in his home. At first he was doing it on um, his bed or on his desk. And he works um, very slowly, very meticulously um, in, these, in this kind of labour-intensive, very meditative process of creating a small segment at a time and then eventually he sees the full work when it's at his gallery. He's represented by um, Greenaway Gallery an incredibly interesting young um, artist. And then finally, <laughs> the only other work that I wanted to mention, because I can't not mention it in this context, um, is the work just behind us, which I mentioned earlier that I wanted to talk about um, how artists are really looking in contemporary ways to traditional techniques or craft. Um, and this work by um, Rye David um, Bradley is certainly doing that. He's an artist who is pushing what we consider to be tapestry in a new direction. Um, and he does that using a mechanical loom. So he's an artist that's now um, spends much of his time in the US and that is where this work was created, although he's Australian born. Um, and this work, he has really, in, in his words, brought um, to life something that he finds quite intangible, and that's the digital realm. So he started um, his practice looking at um, digital technology in the early 2000s, and then he became a little bit of afraid of, I think, the, the technology that he was using in terms of it not lasting, um, not having longevity. And so then he started to move towards painting um, and textiles. And so what you have here is um, an image that is looking at, on one side, a girl looking at her, her mobile phone, and then on the other side, it's looking at um, a gathering of people who are um, 
I guess it's a kind of um, protest to the conditions of which they're working under, um, working at a place that produces parts of phones. Um, so, again, an artist who's looking um, at where material will lead us. I think all of the artists I've mentioned really um, bring to our consciousness the power of materiality. I think that was, for me, what was so clear. They um, bring forward how, how material and the way that you use your material speak volumes and how we can use the handmade in a way that will actually last and go into the future. Um, I think I might, I'll leave it there. I think, yeah, fundamental to me is, is this kind of entering into a discussion about what lies, what has lied before us um, and kind of wanting to, um, wanting us to look a little bit deeper. These are works where you kind of, you stand there and you ponder and you stay a little bit longer. They've certainly taken a long time to make and I think when we look at them, we appreciate that. Um, and it, it's an interesting shift I think, in contemporary art, and certainly, um, I think it, Rana has said, it's, it's very hot right now, and I, I think it's something to be considering um, and looking forward. Okay, enjoy, thank you.